Good morning. This morning's passage is found in Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. Would you please join me as I read? And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. I hope you'll keep your Bibles open with me there to Mark chapter 4. We're in Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25, a a short passage, a a singular parable, a parable that's given a little bit more clarity with sort of a second half of a parable this morning. Uh, One of the things that I want to do as we continue our sermon series through the Gospel of Mark on the road with Jesus, I was listening to the sermon by Justin Sarah down at Cross Point Coast, Palm Bay this past week, and he made the note that this series is not on the road to Jesus. Man, that's a grace. In it. This isn't a, a series on the road to Jesus. This is a series in which Jesus is already with us, bringing us all the more to himself by drawing close to his people by his word. May that be the case this morning as we work our way through the gospel of Mark. One of the things that I've already observed in our time together is the number of times that Mark breaks uh, the, his telling of the story of the gospel into what can be nothing less than clearly defined little mini-series, little sections. We begin the Gospel of Mark with preparation for the coming of Jesus in the beginning of his ministry. We have then a breaking into a rapid series of miracles and, and the call of his first disciples at the beginning of his ministry there in Mark. And then we see a, a section of the Scriptures that increasingly, even as the miracles and teaching of Jesus continues... Jesus begins to meet resistance from spiritual enemies, from religious leaders, and even his own family begins to press against him. And now we're in chapter 4. And this chapter 4 is is a section of parables. Each of the parables is given both to the crowds and and specifically to his disciples, even to the point that in the first section, in verses 1 through 20, he even breaks aside and explains the parable in more detail to his disciples, those who are following after him. And we have in this chapter 4, in all really four of these parables, and especially this little mini-series of three parables at the end of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, we hear a call to hear and to receive the gospel that Jesus came to preach. I want you to hear that clearly. This is the point of all of these parables. We could come up with wonderful interpretations and find real deep meaning in each one of these parables, but they have a central point for which the gospel writer is recording them for us. And the central purpose is a call to hear and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ the gospel that he came to preach. In this morning's passage, Mark has collected these parables together here. Now, we only read one parable. We're going to look at the next two in the coming 
weeks. And he's collected these three parables right after the parable of the four soils that we looked at last week. Some of you who maybe weren't with us, or maybe you're even new to Cross Point Coast altogether, I'd encourage you, go back to Mark chapter 4. It's an incredible read there in those first verses. And the call is to a call to listen carefully, to draw near to Jesus, that his word would bear fruit in your soul. Apart from Jesus, there is no understanding of the parables. Hear that. Apart from Jesus, there's just a nice metaphor. But with Jesus, there's an understanding of that which he came to proclaim about the gospel of his kingdom. We'll take three weeks to look at these parables that close chapter four so that we too can take time, careful, slow time, to listen intently to the word that Jesus has to share with us in his gospel. In Matthew and Luke, these parables are also recorded. In those other two gospels, but what's interesting is they aren't collected together in one place, but instead they're scattered about throughout the, those other two Gospels, Matthew and Luke, each time they're recorded in a unique context of the Gospel that in which the Gospel writer is, is offering a unique meaning, I would offer that it seems likely that Jesus used these metaphors at different times in his teaching, metaphors that were familiar to his audience, but then he would apply them to specific contexts in which he was teaching. Here, Mark recalls a time of Jesus' teaching to teach one central thing. He collects them to compound, to drive home a single all-important point. These parables, the parable of the lamp, the parable of the seed growing, and the parable of the mustard seed continue to press for the need to give attention to Jesus. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here with you so we together can give attention to the word of Jesus and the power of his word in the life of the one who would receive him. Now, the purpose of the parables is to reveal the mystery of the gospels who would receive the truth that they contain. The purpose of the the parables are to reveal the mystery of the gospel. So what do you call a mystery that's revealed? You don't call it a mystery anymore, do you? You call it revelation. That's the purpose of the parables. The parables are not a great mystery. The parables are the means by which the mystery is revealed. But for those who listen, they're empty metaphors, and they only serve as judgment upon them for not giving attention to Jesus through whom the truth of the parable is truly revealed. At the center of our parable this morning, we have it. Verses 23 and the beginning of 24, we have this central theme. Verse 23, if anyone has ears, let him hear. There you go. That's the purpose. Listen. Have ears, right? And he said to them, verse 24, Pay attention to what you hear. What's our business this morning? To have a nice reading of the scripture, and I'm thankful for it. No. To give attention to what we hear. This instruction is for us today. Listen with faith, and the Lord will shine his light among us. Lord God, I pray that you would do that this morning as we gather this morning. And we would hear and be attentive to your word 
and your word would take root and you would give the blessing of understanding and transformation and fruitfulness, miraculous fruitfulness from such a simple word this morning. We pray according to your work, your word and your spirit. Amen. This morning we're going to walk through just a couple simple ideas straight up in the passage for us to see. The first is this, that Jesus is the lamp. Jesus is the lamp. The parable comes in the form of a question. Look at it with me. Verse 21. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed or, and not on a stand? It's a question. Well, except it's not, right? <laughs> it's not a It's a statement. It's a question that begs you to be like, well, no, <laughs> right? He's saying something by this. The, oh, well, no, is sitting there waiting for us to see. He's making the statement, no, that'd be foolish. Of course you don't. You put it up on a stand. Seems like the parable shouldn't be named, the, at least in, in, in my, my translation, they put a little title off to the side, and it's called A Lamp Under a Basket. I'm like, no. <laughs> the parable should be the lamp on, that's on a stand. Come on. It's the point of the parable. The lamp belongs up on a stand. Now, what we can't see in most English translations, I'm not sure what translation you're using this morning, but I haven't found one yet. Maybe you could come up to me afterward if there is one that has this, that in the Greek, there is actually a definite article. Some of you are like, okay, we're going to do grammar this morning. Yeah, yeah, but that's an easy one. It's just the word the, okay? There's the word the before the word lamp, which is interesting because in here it's translated, do you not understand, I'm sorry, uh, is a lamp brought in to put, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? A lamp. And actually, really, it should be the lamp. Now, in the other Gospels, when Jesus is teaching this, likely in another context, he does use the word a because he's just making a metaphor. But here, he's talking about something specific. Is the lamp brought in to be put under a basket? The lamp. It isn't a lamp. It's the lamp. Jesus isn't referring to just any light source, any old light source that you might bring into any old room. He isn't referring to just any truth. He isn't referring to just any word or any illuminating reality. He's speaking about the word. He's speaking about the truth. And we know that the truth has a name, don't we? He's speaking about himself, friends. He's not speaking in general terms. When he's speaking about the lamp being brought in, he's speaking about his own coming. Is the lamp brought in to be put under a basket? No. Jesus has come to make the gospel known. The lamp has come. The word which brings light has entered the room, and he's set up on a stand for all to see. The question is, will they come and receive his illuminating truth? The lamp is on the stand, and we know that because God put him there. We have this numerous times throughout the scriptures. It's called the divine passive, all right? You're not supposed to write sentences in the passive voice, and all the English teachers are like, I know, I know, but the kids do it anyway. Well, you may not Know that, but it's true. Is a lamp brought in to be put? Well, who's putting it there? 
That's passive voice. We don't know who's doing the lamp pudding. Well, very often in the Scripture, when the passive voice is used, we're supposed to understand the divine work of God, that God is the one who puts the lamp in the place. God the Father is putting the Son up on a stand because He's the lamp. That's the image that is in this metaphor, in this parable for us. God brings the lamp, and Jesus is the lamp. Now, it's interesting, the word lamp has a, a lot of context in the Scriptures, particularly if you look in the Old Testament. We see that the lamp refers to God. The lamp also refers to the Davidic Messiah, the one who is to come, the one who is promised in the line of David, that God would give to David a lamp. And it also refers to the Torah, the teaching of the Scriptures. Well, it just so turns out that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus is the glorious fulfillment and source of Torah. Jesus is the lamp. And this is saying God did not bring the lamp into the room not to be much of, so that maybe in 2,000 years somebody could pay attention to him. Now he's putting him up for everybody to see that the gospel would be made much of that the lamp has come to shine. Jesus came to stand above. At the, at the heart of hearing this particular parable is the fact that Jesus is the lamp. God has brought him in and he's put him on the stand and that is where our hearts should seek to find him. Where's Jesus? He's up. He's high. He's shining like a lamp on a stand, and yet our tendency is to put him in a basket or under a bed. You and I have a great light. We have incredible access to the word of Jesus, don't we? He's come. And he's shown brightly, and he's shown widely, and he's shown specifically. He's been held up by God himself and as God himself for all to see. The initial question for us this morning is, have we compartmentalized Jesus? Are you hearing the question? Have we put Jesus in a nice little religious, if you don't like religious, spiritual space? where he can shine in the dark little corner of our spiritual practices? Have we allotted that Jesus can illumine our religious practice? He can illumine our Sunday mornings. We can even say his name when we sing here anyway. And maybe he can illumine a spiritual future for us. Or do we listen and understand with faith that Jesus changes everything? It's one of the dangers of our heart's proneness toward compartmentalized religion and spirituality that really it's an effort to put Jesus under a basket of religion. And oh, he shines it under there. And we sneak in and we sneak out, but he doesn't have anything to offer to the rest of the room. You see, it's by the word of Jesus that everything else in the room can be seen. Without that lamp up on a stand, it's darkness. Jesus is the means by which we make sense of 
all other things. In life, in reality, there are not a variety of lights. Hear me on this. In life, in reality, in, that, in the world in which we actually live, the world that actually is and that the Lord has made and that we have made a mess of, in the world that actually is, there are not a variety of lights. There aren't a variety of philosophies that have light in them or a variety of influences by which we may see reality. There is only Jesus, only his word, only his way, only his truth, only his life. And if there happens to be some light in any of those other places, those other philosophies, those other worldviews, those other thoughtfulnesses, It's because the light of Jesus has kindly and by his general work of grace has made his way in there as well. But why are we looking there? That's the light captured in a little bitty box. Why would we not look to Jesus up on a stand to gain light for the whole of the room, the whole of the room. Friends, this is so practical for me these days. Psalm 36, verse 9. I memorized this a number of years back, forgot it quickly, and remembered it just this week. (laughs) For with you is the fountain of life. In your light... Do we see what? Light. That's a messed up sentence, (laughs) right? You ever tried to shine light on light? Now, we got engineers and stuff in the room. Don't answer that. I don't want to know. In your light, do we see the truth? Functionally, practically, increasingly in our culture, Our culture would have us do two things. The first is that we would put Jesus under a basket or a bed. It might be okay to keep a private little view of Jesus as a concession to the vague notion of religious freedom. And you may rise up and say, no, we we have religious freedom in our country. And I'm saying, no, that's not enough. If you take your great comfort in life and death in some sort of constitutional religious freedom, Jesus is still in a box. I don't just have freedom. I have Jesus. And that Jesus is shining. And he doesn't belong in any system or structure or religion or spirituality or philosophy. He belongs up and shining on his own, and he illumines everything in the room, not compartmentalized. Jesus is secondly, this is so important, Jesus is not under any other authority. And this is exactly what increasingly our social circumstance seems to be pressing upon, that we would redefine the word of Jesus by the priorities and philosophies of the world. But you see, we don't shine a light on Jesus to find out what he really meant. Do you get that? Arrogance is waiting Because some of you are like, well, I know what Jesus meant. Let me shine light on you. (laughs) Oh, no. You're not the light. The vain philosophies of the world aren't the light. 
Jesus is the light. He is the lamp, and he belongs up on a stand. Not you. Jesus does, and we all belong humbly, submitted to him, and maybe, not maybe, definitely repeating him with humility, shining his light all the while saying, just like John the Baptist did, it's not me, it's not me. One who is greater than me comes. And Jesus is coming, friends. And with humility and honesty, we point to his light. You'll see what's wrong with this according to Scripture. It makes Jesus an object in the room by which he himself gets enlightened by something else. Jesus isn't an object in the room. Jesus, the creator of all things, was outside the room, and he entered the room and illumined the room. And so you and I, as a part of creation, as, my goodness, as a fallen part of creation, belong submitted to his light up on a stand. When he shines up there on a stand, we'll not only see that he illumines all other reality. What we're going to see is something incredible. He abolishes all other darkness. If we just see him up on the stand. Which leads us quickly, easily, to the next point of the parable. Jesus is the lamp, and Jesus came to reveal. That's what lamps do, by the way. He came to reveal. Look at verse 22 with me. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. What's he doing? He's taking secret things and bringing them to light. I understand this sentence to have a specific meaning. Yes, there is a general meaning that Jesus is the light by which all other things are understood. That's, general, that's true. All right? He is the only light in the room. But I think that Jesus is is manifesting something very specific, a particular hidden thing bringing a specific mystery to light. Jesus is bringing hidden and secret things to light. There's an admission that presently, Jesus is saying, he admits this, that presently there are things that are hidden. And there are things that are secret. Look at verse 22. It's sitting there. I mean, he says it, Right? He, for nothing is hidden except to be manifest, secret except to come to light. It was hidden, it was secret, and now he's here and he's going to tell you what it is. He's going to reveal it. Jesus is revealing, he's making the bold claim, the bold claim that he is the means by which we will understand the things of God. You don't get bold in that. Jesus is the means by which hidden things are made known, and he is the unraveler of the mysterious things. Let me put it another way. Jesus is the light of the gospel. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus comes and he says what he's here to do. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 1, Proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. In a nutshell, that's what, the time has come because the lamp is on the stand. Now y'all see it. 
If you see Jesus, you see the lamp. If, how would we know the kingdom is at hand? Because the king is right there. And he's displaying, he's putting on display the glory and the light of the kingdom. And our business is to repent and believe the good news. That's the light on the stand. That's the light on this. I'm gonna look at the light on the stand by which all things will be revealed. Second Corinthians chapter four. One of my favorite passages in scripture. Chapter four, verse four says this, the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Just a few verses later. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. You see, God is the light bringer. Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts. And what does he give? The light the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What is the mystery that is being revealed? The gospel of the glory of God. The good news of the glory of God in the midst of the people of God. Now, Jesus has not yet fully revealed it. We won't have that until he fully reveals it in his performance of the gospel. He's saying, look at me. If you keep watching me, if I get your attention and you give, you look at the lamp, you're going to see the beauty of the light of the gospel revealed. In the law and in the prophets, we have seen glimpses, precursors, and promises of the grace of God. Even in the ministry and miracles of Jesus, we've seen good news of the kingdom beginning to break forth, but we have not yet seen the glory and fullness of that kingdom as it's revealed in the cross and resurrection. One of the ways to put it, a commentator, I've referenced him a number of times, James Edwards. He says, the kingdom of God and the parables that witness to it are like a piece of embroidery. All right, we're all going to go to embroidery school for just a couple minutes. On one side is a mass of knots and tangles, while on the other side is the finished pattern. At this point, as people are looking to Jesus, he is the light, But all they're seeing is knots and tangles and parables and and Torah and prophets and psalms and miracles and teaching. And in the cross, he's going to flip to the other side and we get to see the whole of the beautiful, finished picture. It's in Christ himself and his teaching, his life, and ultimately in his death and resurrection that we see the true light. It is the secret that is revealed. You remember back in verse 11 in our passage last week, you can see it with me in verse 11. And he said to them, to you, the disciples who are following after him, has been given the secret of the kingdom. I love this because some people treat like Christianity like it's some sort of mystery religion. Like, like it's something that you need to know some special secret word and that gives you access to some hidden knowledge. Mm-mm. It's the secret that's been revealed. It's the mystery shining in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Easy to see and to explain. Why has Jesus come? Our parable this morning tells us that he has come to give light to all. In in chapter 10, verse 45, the central theme verse of the Gospel of Mark, in Mark 10, 45, he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the lamp of Jesus shines most brightly when he's high and lifted up on the cross. And even John, in his gospel, says that it's when he's high and lifted up that he would draw all men to him. When does Jesus shine most brightly up on a stand for all to see? Crucified on a cross. Do you want to see the lamp that makes sense of every other thing in all of creation? You look at the cross. It's right there that he will draw people to himself in faith to receive forgiveness of sin and the great secret of grace revealed. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 9, he speaks of the unsearchable riches of Christ and his purpose to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. There is a mystery to the things of God that's mysterious no longer. We have the great climax moment in the mystery book. And we see, oh, that's it. Christ on the cross, a ransom for many. That's why we can't stop talking about it. It's the mystery by which all other things are revealed. Jesus is neither a religious or moral teacher nor a mere miracle worker and sideshow. He is the light of the world. He doesn't just speak good news. He is good news, and we see that news most clearly on the cross. I call you this morning not to use Jesus as a means to make your life a better life. That's not the purpose of the light that makes everything about you. Jesus is not an addendum to an otherwise basically good life. You're not shining, and you just need a little help. You're in darkness, and the whole point of your life is his glory and his gospel shining and illuminating you, his creation. And only in him, by his word and his gospel, do we live, move, and have our being. It's as we give attention to the lamp that our lives begin to make a little bit of sense. Now, Jesus offers at the end of our parable this morning, a bit of a confusing statement. I called it a measured response. Uh, One commentator speaks of the optimism of verses 21 and 22 and the realism of verses 24 and 25. 24 and 25 are super realistic. Look at them with me. Verse 24, and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. Okay, that sounds good. All right. For, verse 25, the one to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Stated positively, pay attention to what you hear. What's the measure? The measure is the measure by which you are hearing. The scoop of your attention to Jesus is the measure that is being poured into you. 
The measure is your hearing. He, he repeats the central point of all of these parables. Drink deeply. Scoop bountifully. Listen attentively. James Edwards, again, in his commentary, offers a literal translation of this verse. In whatever measure you measure, it will be measured to you and will be added to you. In whatever measure you measure, whatever scoop you scoop, or the bowl under, or the basket under which was hidden the lamp earlier is now turned upside down, and that bowl was often used for measuring. And if you'll take that bowl and turn it upside down, and instead of covering the light, receive the light and scoop it all up, that's what you have. And what you receive will be added to you. Again, the divine passive, the explanation is seek understanding, and God will add it to you. Friends, if you know the scriptures at all, you know that's a phrase that's repeated over and over again. Seek, and you will find. All these things will be added unto you. An ear inclined toward Jesus will be a fruitful transformation. As we make use of the light, the lamp in the world, he'll, he'll shine brightly to illuminate that which is otherwise hidden. Uh, the, there's another proverb, Proverbs 18.15. I, I wonder if Jesus is even reflecting a bit on this proverb as he repeats a pretty well-known little parable with this measurement parable. He says in Proverbs 18.15, an intelligent heart acquires knowledge. And the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Now, I have a question about that proverb. I love asking questions of proverbs because I think by asking questions of proverbs, we are actually giving the proverb, the word, our attention, okay? Well, one of the questions I have of this proverb is how can an already intelligent heart acquire knowledge? How does that work? Isn't an intelligent heart intelligent? Shouldn't we all just want to be like the intelligent heart? And an intelligent heart acquires knowledge. Intelligence is measured, in other words, by its pursuit of the truth. For by that pursuit will knowledge be measured to the heart. I would argue that intelligent heart is intelligent before it knows. Because the intelligent heart is the heart that seeks understanding. And to the heart that seeks understanding in the Christ, understanding will be given. That's why the second part of the proverb makes more sense to me. The ear of the wise seeks knowledge. The wise seek wisdom, and God will measure out wisdom to that wise ear. Incline your ear to Jesus, and you'll know. You'll understand. The mysteries will be revealed. Some of the most intelligent people I've known in my life have caused me the greatest grief because they're the people who seem to know and remember things almost by accident in life. You watch them, they just know stuff. They like read a book, and they don't study a book. They just take a test, and it's 100%. Smartest people I know in my life. I've watched them at the same time wander off in the pride of their mind and in some of the most vain and worldly pursuits of all the people I know. The smartest people I know what I've seen is that they begin to trust in their own mind, their own 
intelligence. And they begin to believe that the world is illumined by their own thoughts about it. They're the lamp that goes around a dark world illuminating things. They don't understand that intelligence and wisdom do not come by an intelligent mind. I know you guys. Y'all are smart. I know that about you. We've hung out together. You're smart. You're intelligent. But friends, the truth is not illumined by your mind. We need a healthy dose of humility before the Lord by whom secrets are brought to light. True knowledge comes by confessing that we, on our own, are not wise but blinded by our own lusts and desires. That's why we have a prayer of confession every week. Man, the most intelligent church in the world needs more prayers of confession. God, I'm dragged away and enticed by my own evil desires on my own. What we need is an external source of light to make sense, not only of this world, but ourselves. Rene Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. This philosophy has had the tragic result in our current day that we, we can define ourselves, our meaning, our purpose, even our identity by thinking something about ourselves. Rosaria Butterfield said so profoundly said, when she said, you are what you read. Not you are what you think of yourself and therefore are. You are what you read. It's not true that you are what you think you are. You don't have light in you. You are what the Lord has spoken about you. You are what he has said you are. He made you, after all. He's the lamp. Our business is to give attention to him. We're measured not by our own thoughts, some mysterious spiritual light within ourselves, as so many of the Disney movies today say, right? Just search deep, believe inside, believe in yourself, and you know what you'll find there? Darkness and evil desires. Congratulations. Honestly, I've seen it in so many of the Disney movies of late. As the person searches deep and tries to be authentic to themselves, they wind up charging out in a great frosty storm and almost destroying the whole city that they left behind them. You want to tell people, go be yourself? Well, that's what we're doing, friends. When we believe the light is within ourselves, we destroy ourselves. We destroy those who love us and we destroy the community around us because we're all wandering around in darkness. Friends, the story is not let it go. The story is come Lord Jesus, illumine this place. That's our confession. That's our need. That's our faith. If our wisdom, our knowledge could be measured out by the light of Christ and his gospel, the Lord will abundantly pour it out and add it to you. James 1.5, probably the first verse in Scripture that I intentionally memorized. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. I love how James, the brother of Jesus, so helpfully gives us the words of Jesus. Stated negatively, 
to fail to make use of the light, and you will lose all benefit of your access to the light. Here's the fact of the matter in the, which, the world in which we live. The fact that we have any light at all is a gift of common grace. It's a gift of God that we have any understanding, that we even have language at all to communicate understanding. If there's any communication at all, some of you know it's a miracle of God if there's ever communication between two people. If there's any light at all in the world, it is a gift of God. But if we fail to give attention to the light, the lamp up on a stand, we will lose all benefit of any of the common grace that we had to begin with. We will if we wither and shrink back from fear or suffering or persecution or tribulation as was held out to us in the previous parable, if we choke out the word with comfort and pursuit of riches and worldly pursuits, we lose all benefit of the word, the seed that's sown among us. But for those who receive the word, for those who give attention to the lamp up on its stand, there will be a miraculous harvest. You see, this parable is in the previous parable. No wonder Jesus said, if you understand this parable, you understand all the rest of them. All three of these in that soils above had the word, but only one is the word multiplied in them. The original hearers of the parable had the word. Listen, the people who were gathering and pressing in on Jesus, they had the Torah. They had the prophets. Many, if not most, had the scriptures memorized in their entirety. Now, tell me they don't have the word. But their true knowledge and understand any benefit that they might receive from having that word was in direct correlation to whether or not they would receive Jesus, the lamp, who had come into the world to bring to light the mysteries of God. If they would look to him, listen to him, trust in him, a great measure of grace and wisdom would be measured out to them in the very word that they so treasured. But if they would reject him, trusting in their own understanding, even in the word that they received, even in the word that they had memorized, it would be of no use to them. And it would be taken away. You see what Jesus is saying here? He isn't being stingy. He isn't being grabby. He is giving this kind and gracious warning. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have truth. I don't care if you can Bible drill with the best of them. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have the truth. But if you do, if you do, you have everything. Everything measured abundantly. To you. you see, this is not a problem for the people hearing this passage alone. It's a problem for us. We have the word. We have the word. Do we have Jesus? Does he make sense of not only the word, but our lives and our circumstances and our everything? This passage isn't about allowing Jesus to shine forth. This is about the reality that Jesus has come to shine. And he's lifting up the truth, a particular truth. He's revealing the particular mystery of the gospel. Will we listen to the gospel and understand all of the rest of life in light of that divine secret revealed? 
That's why he gives the second part of the parable. Will we measure out our listening and be measured back faith and understanding? This is a very personal parable, I think, by Jesus. As Mark applies this parable, the question isn't, are you making Jesus shine in the world? The question is, are you making use of Jesus' light? Now, you can go to the other Gospels, Matthew and Luke. They seem to take this, probably Jesus' teaching, in another context, and they say, so make Jesus shine like the lamp that he should. That, the problem is, it skips the step that we would learn in this telling of the parable. Are you making use of the light? Are you looking to the lamp before you go off and shine it to somebody else? Let me be very practical with you. This sermon is not a call to read your Bible. I already said the people who heard this parable probably had most of the Bible memorized. This is a call to believe your Bible. This is a call to give attention to what you have heard. Seek understanding for that which you do not yet understand. Seek faith to believe what has been given. I'm so confused these days. Are you with me? So confused. This last year, year and a half, I, I'm lost. There's so much going on in the world. There's so much I just don't understand. And it's not the things. It's the way that we are together. I don't understand why things are getting weird between me and other people and how, how things are getting weird in the culture. And some of the things that are said, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't get it. So much I don't understand. And, and so many things that have caused me to be sad, angry, or afraid. Are you with me? Have you been sad? Have you been angry? You want to shine your light? <laughs> Afraid? This passage is a call to my heart and to yours to believe again the word of Jesus and his gospel of grace that will again make sense of the world in which we live. You see, the deal is I've never lived here before. I've never lived in May 2021. And I don't have sufficient intelligence or understanding to shine my light here. You know what we're needed? We're needed grace today from the lamp who is Jesus, submitted to what he's already taught us, that he would shine it today. It's a call to more intently search and to know, to seek and discover how what the Lord has taught us is the very means by which we will flourish in the face of trial or persecution or cares of the world and temptations of our flesh. I had a friend just this week tell me, am I running after lesser things? You tell me, am I running after lesser things? I said, I don't know. I don't have light for that. But something tells me if the two of us sit together under the Christ and his light, he's going to be faithful to answer your question. Just stop asking me. <laughs> Let's ask him together. I don't know your question. Maybe your question isn't, am I running after lesser things? Maybe your question is, am I scared? Maybe your question 
isn't, am I, am I in the midst of trial and tribulation? Are you angry? Are you sad to the dejection and depression? I would call on us together to look to Jesus, to his gospel, to his light, and he will illumine our dark moment. Heavenly Father, there's not a person in the room today, including the preacher, certainly, who does not need you to shine up on a stand upon all things. We pray that you would shine brightly, illumine. Our world needs you, and our hearts need you. We pray, Lord, that we would give attention. Spirit, don't let us get away by giving too much attention to lesser things. I could name them. I can name what I think are lesser things. There are too many. There are too many. There's so many things that have our attention right now. Lord, shine brightly. Do what you came in the world to do. Thank you, God. And we know you will because you give generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to your church. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.